Listeners, welcome back to the Business of Wellness. I am your host, Jacqueline London, and I have a wonderful guest for you today. I think you are going to have such a fantastic time listening to this episode. And I feel like I am, I, I feel like I just got off the phone with a celebrity. It was truly an honor to speak to today's guest. She is Leah McGrath. She is a registered dietitian who began her career in the U.S. Army. She worked briefly in public health as a WIC dietitian and supervisor for the Low Country Health District in South Carolina. And since 2000, Leah has been the corporate dietitian for Ingalls Market, has implemented various programs for the retailer and for retail operations at large. She's also a huge force on social media. She appears regularly on TV. And in 2014, Leah transitioned to uh, the next phase of her career. Many of you listening may know this about her or have discovered Leah this way, which is uh, she founded Build Up Dietitians. It is a community that is there to provide encouragement for registered dietitians and nutrition students. And the Facebook page has become a global social media presence. I mean, she has, she, you'll hear on this podcast interview that she has members of the community who are in the Philippines, who are in the UK. So it's really so amazing and impressive. And I love following Leah on social media and I love her newsletter in particular, which is on Substack and you can subscribe. I'm going to include all of that information here in our episode notes, but she is fantastic. She is always essentially setting people straight. I I call her sort of like the bearer of unpopular opinions that are always evidence-based. They're phenomenal. Uh, I think you're going to love this episode. So as always, please make sure that you are subscribed, that you're following the Business of Wellness podcast so that you don't miss a future episode. And of course, feel free to follow me on any and all social platforms. I'm at Jacqueline London RD everywhere. And on TikTok, it's at Jacqueline London. And of course, you can feel free to support the podcast by leaving a five-star review. You know, I have to say that. Say it every time. Saying it again. Leave a five-star rating and a review. And I look forward to hearing from you. I can't wait to hear what you think about today's episode. So let us get right to it. Here she is, Leah McGrath. We'll just, get, we'll just get right into it. Welcome to the business of wellness. I am so thrilled that you're here. And this feels like, it feels a bit like a celebrity, like a celebrity guest. I feel very honored that you're here. Oh, no, I feel the same way about you. So I'm like, I, you know, I, I I remember when you did a Facebook Live for Build Up Dietitians, and, which is one of the highest watched Facebook Lives that we have in our our video library. And I was like, Oh, I I can't believe she agreed to do this. She's such a celebrity. So yeah. So the feeling is (laughs) mutual admiration, right? (laughs) (laughs) The fan club is it's very real. All right. So I we have many we have many things to discuss today. So so I'm gonna I want to start someplace somewhat unconventional, which is to have you tell us a little bit about the the current landscape of different professions, some of which are professions and some of which are are more like hobbies. I don't right, know. Is, right. that, is that the right word? Some of which are hobbies that are kind of trying to encroach into the dietetics space. How does this happen? Where are you seeing it bubble up the most? And And let's start with that landscape first. You know, I think we've always had that challenge that there is a profession, there's a there's always been a what we call a creep, right? Mm, People who yes. are, um, whether it, 
uh, in a clinical environment, you know, maybe it's the well-intentioned nurse who tells people to, you know, um, don't eat any sugar or the physician who says don't eat any white foods. Um, and, and I think for most of my career, you know, it's pretty contained to those kinds of situations where you'd have somebody who is fairly well-intentioned mm-hmm. and, um, you know, trying to give somebody a quick solution, right? Yes. You know, the nurse or the doctor, something like that. So then with the advent of all these social media platforms like, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, this kind of gave, gave rise to a lot of people who feel as though they have the license without the licensure to actually do that. And, you know, because there are very few regulations on food, right, and giving information about food. So everybody feels it's kind of fair game that you can tell people what they should and shouldn't eat. Um, And a lot of people base these recommendations on nothing, right? It's like, Oh, you know, I gave up XYZ for, you know, two weeks and I felt, I felt better than I have in my whole life. And so you should, you should give them up, right? 100%. Right. So, um, yeah, I think, and and I, and I know just from the people I interact with that, that many dietitians are really frustrated because it feels like you're constantly, I don't know if I'm going to say doing battle, but you're constantly up against that mentality. Like, you know, well, my, you know, my, before it was maybe my hairdresser said, or my doctor said, and my nurse said, now it's like thousands of influencers or wellness people or health coaches or wellness coaches on these social media platforms are saying these things. So it's tough. It's just, it's just been amplified uh, by by a million. But I, I so appreciate that additional perspective too, because I think we forget about it so much, which is like, it's not just now, now I'm almost, I, I look back and kind of miss that well-intentioned <laughs> nurse or right. uh, SLP who might right. be giving education when you're like, wait a second, wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh no. I remember no. one time in the dentist chair and my dent and you know how you're in the dentist chair and you have yes. all that stuff in your mouth and you can't talk. You're you in can't a talk. <laughs> you're going to swallow some big wad of something. And my dentist saying, well, you know, I've given up pretty much all my carbs and I feel so much better. And when I had finally had a chance to say something, I said, well, do you think really the difference was what you gave up or what you substituted? You know, because he then admitted, well, you know, I am eating a lot more fruits and vegetables and, you know, I've really cut out a lot of the beer that I was drinking. I'm like, well, so was it what you, what you took out of your diet or what you put into your diet, you know? So. No, it's huge. I mean, we, the, the episode that is out right now that, that I just released yesterday. So, for anyone listening, that's at the time of this recording. So this is maybe a bit, a bit out of date by the time we get to to actually hear from you. But we, but uh, my my guest is also a dietitian who was talking about how this is sort of like the number one place that she winds up starting. And I realized, wow, that really is. That's also where I start, where you start, I'm sure. Which is that we're never talking about what what you're taking away, right? And and we take it for granted that so many people's impression that even your dentist or the first time that you see someone, their first statement is, 
is to tell you about what they're not eating. Right. And and it's like, and I, and it drives me nuts. And, and this is what I, this is where I'm going with this for, for, um, as far as what I want to hear from you about is that I feel like now I'm starting to see that approach be translated onto product packaging. So non-GMO, this is plant-based, it's gluten-free, it's dairy-free. It's talking about everything that's not actually in the food versus what is in the food and what you might get out of it. (laughs) And I understand, you know, I mean, certain things, once they become, once they're in the market and they become competitive, like let's take USDA organic, for example, once it's on a label, it becomes competitive or you look like you're not in the game if you don't have that also, right? So we just continue to perpetuate this. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. I feel like it's just everywhere. You know, and you are 100% right, Jackie. I mean, I, I mean, as in most of my career is spent being a supermarket dietitian, and I think that, um, I, and I talk to brands all the times and commodities, and they're in a very difficult position because it's kind of like a domino situation. Once that one brand or commodity puts a label on their product, especially if it's something like you mentioned, like a free from, everybody else feels like that panic to do the same thing because, uh, and then the dominoes begin falling, right? So, because they don't want, so let's just take, for example, something like, um, I remember a brand years ago who wanted to put on their label that they had sugar-free bacon. That, <laughs> right, right. That, and, and, and no, you'll appreciate this. I'm not going to mention the brand. I don't even know if they're still in business, but they wrote to me and they said, as a dietitian, you probably know how important it is for people with diabetes not to have sugar. So we're putting sugar, a label, we have this label, and I had called them out on that. I'm like, why do you have a sugar-free label on your bacon? And I said, most most bacon, you know, there are like sugar, maple sugar bacon, but that is not the leading reason why people choose bacon, right? But once somebody does that, then, and that might not be the best example, but then the dominoes begin to fall and, and the other uh, brands in that category think, oh no, we're going to be asked if our bacon is sugar-free, so we better put sugar-free on our label then too. So it's very competitive. I think that what you're highlighting is that it's a very competitive space and, um, uh, brands are looking to attract the attention of customers um, however they can. So as a result, packaging sometimes looks like a NASCAR vehicle, right? It's, you know, free, 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 you know. It's kind of crazy. Such a good analogy. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Such a good analogy. You know, what, what it reminds me of, too, is that now there's this other sort of interesting shift and the degree to which it becomes a real problem for us or or something that something that kind of takes over the industry remains to be seen right now but i'd love to know what you think about this which is now i'm seeing almost a backlash to some of the free from claims right is the new this new shift to to touting benefits from a product that either aren't substantiated don't fall into an existing health claim or are just um, not necessarily going to have the effects that that 
a customer might perceive. So a good example, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you two. <laughs> I'll give you two because I, I like both of them equally. But one of them would be some of these beverages that are, that claim the supports digestive wellness, all of this, right? We can't, it's not measurable. You can't right. really, right? The other one that is a little bit more um, sort of uh, a little bit clearer, some of is the, there's a brand called, gosh, now I'm going to forget the name, Belly, Belly Welly. I think it's a, they're cookies. Oh, okay. They just came out. And I happened to read that they got $16 million in venture funding to, to launch this product, which good on this woman. I mean, it's right. a, a woman, a female founder. I feel like, okay, yay for that. However, they're pro, they're probiotic cookies and they're probiotic cookies, quote unquote. I say, put that in quotes, listeners, because, I, because ultimately the amount of actual live and active cultures that can be in a cookie is dependent on lots of things. And also how much could possibly be in a cookie? <laughs> Right. I and do you, like, and do you need those specific right. probiotics? Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it. I think. I think it's just more noise almost that then contributes to the overall confusion about what is actually gut health. I mean, gut health is another one. I. I just would love to get your reaction to. Just generally speaking, I feel like both of these examples happen to fall into that category, and that yeah. was an accident. But it's a happy accident. <laughs> Well, and I have to say it at this point too, like I notice a lot of times you have, I guess they're um, reels or stories on Facebook mm. where you look at different products. And I, as a dietitian and as a customer, I so mm. appreciate that you do that kind of just taking a look and stripping aside what's really going on in some of these products. Um, because it makes me think too, like, oh yeah, I need to make sure I'm aware of this as a dietitian in right. case somebody asks me. But yeah, you're you're 100% right. Some of the 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 buzzwords now that we see on labels which um are very hard like to prove any kind of benefit like whether it's inflammation, gut health, probiotics, sustainable. I right, mean, right. there's so many of these words and I think that um because those are things that are not really regulated by the FDA, the manufacturers can get away with a lot of these you know, they're not making it necessarily a direct disease benefit or health claim. Mm -hmm. They're just kind of stating, oh, you know, may, may help with, may improve gut health or something, right. may reduce inflammation. But you know what? You probably know more about this. I heard that um, FDA or FTC was going to crack down on some of that language that um, brands and influencers are using about products. Had you heard that too? I, you know, I, the thing is that I find, I, I haven't read anything that's specific and new, but I feel like that's always out there a little bit, which okay. is like, oh, this crackdown is coming. And we're like, when is it coming? Please, please. <laughs> oh, they're just, How about now? they're just, right? it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you're going to get in trouble when your dad comes home. Right. It's that, it's that equivalent. It's that equivalent is right. right. I mean, yeah, no, it's a great, it's such a great point. I, I think anytime you can tout a quote benefit, Right. From something elusive that can't be substantiated regardless of, but there is no standard and probiotics right. perfect example is because we don't have a, a one size fits all probiotic for everyone. We also right. don't have a, a set, you know, recommended amount that we're meant to have in a day. So there, so you can do so much marketing in that little white space. And on yeah. one hand, I think like, okay, so if I'm looking at this from a purely business standpoint, I'm thinking, 
This is brilliant. Good for you. And then when I look at it as a dietitian, I just think, but everyone is confused and it's only contributing. It's not helping, you know, like it's only, it's only making the problems that we have worse when, you know, I mean, I, I used to, I used to do this thing, Leah, when I was working clinically, which was to, if I was going to um, give any type of diet education, like I'm walking into a patient's room and I've been asked to, you know, give some diabetes, whatever it is. And I would often find myself starting with a, tell me, tell me, is chicken a carb? Oh, just to see a level (laughs) set. Just to get where we're like, what? Let's just get a general picture. And then sometimes I would switch it up with like a, okay, what is a carb? Give me, give me a couple of examples of what is a carb. Sometimes you get the patient, wonderful patient who's like, I think it's carbon, hydrogen. And I was like, no, 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 we don't have to go. We don't need the chemistry. I can draw it. Right. Right. And then other times I'd get, yeah, chicken's a carb. Mm -hmm. Very confident, right? Like just to kind of get where are we coming from? The answer yeah. to that question is always a fascinating one, but yep. I feel like we almost, it's almost like, why are we running before we can walk? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's such a valid point. I mean, I um, I wrote something on Twitter just recently about um, a lot of times we, people come to me with questions about food or ingredients, or they're afraid of something. I used to Im- immediately have sort of a knee jerk reaction to try and like, calm them down and try and, you know, um, dispel with the misinformation. And now I'm trying to just figure out where their heads at. Like, where did you hear that? Why do you think that? What site was that on? You know, where is this coming from? Or, you know, what do you think a carbohydrate? (laughs) What do you think a carbohydrate? If you say you're not, you don't want to eat any carbohydrates, what do you think carbohydrates are? So, um, but yeah, that's, yeah, it's so interesting to kind of not make those assumptions that everybody um, has even, uh, that kind of like very lim- limited knowledge of nutrition and food and kind of figure out where they sit. Yeah. Yeah. One other question for you on this that I feel like I have to ask you because I, I, because you, I always look to Leah on, on Twitter. And of course, we're going to include all of that in, in the episode notes, but I, I always look to you on Twitter to see, <laughs> because I always know that you, that there, there is no one who quite tells it like it is the way <laughs> that you do in such a perfect way, because it is oh, always, because you managed to get it into 140 characters. Very hard for me. I, I, this is a challenge for me. Right. I'm like, well, you know, I, I, it's like I could, we could all stand to take that lesson. However, my, my big question for you that I feel like you have a great answer to, where did the seed oil demonization come from? Where did this start? <laughs> you know, um, where did I see that? I think it all, it was traced back to somebody and I'm trying to think, I just, um, you know, who's a good person who just did a podcast mm. on that is Dr. Tim Crow out of Australia. Awesome. I think he just had one on seed oils, but um, I've only heard that in my area. It might be more demographic, um, bubble up a couple times where people are like, you know, what oil is being used in the salad bar? And I'm trying to avoid this oil. But I think, you know, it's like one of those weird threads that you start to trace back and you're like, where did that start? And I'd have to think about it a little bit. Um, and I can't think of who it was on the, off the top of my head who started that whole seed oil stuff, but there was one person. It was 
it, I don't know if it was Gundry or it's somebody like a Gundry. I yeah. want to say it's Sinclair, but not David Sinclair, not the longevity Sinclair. I think it's somebody. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to look that up. Maybe that'll be its own episode. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, yeah, no, that, that's a, that is truly a fascinating one. I will say that I saw something, um, that I, I just happened to see it and it really was such a great, a perfect example of exactly what we're talking about, which is that in, in this case, it was, it was on the Joe Rogan podcast, who obviously has a tremendous audience and, and does some, some really, has some really fascinating, interesting interviews. But the context in which the seed oil, the quote unquote, you know, seed oils will kill you sort of that, where did that, where that begins is that he was using a paper. And this is something that I just, I feel like is also everywhere and a little bit scary to me, which is that he used a paper that I have personally cited before so many times. It's Uh a great, it was a great study, but what he was saying was found in the study was not actually found in that study. Interesting. (laughs) So often, because so often, I think so many of us are in this position, which is like, Okay, what study are you using? Oh, great, a mouse study. You know, like yet enough. Here we go again. We're going to tell me that rats fasting overnight, like, is the same as humans. Like, I just okay, thanks. I'm not going to consider that really like a valid study. This was a great paper, but my my concern with it was more. No, no, that's not the takeaway. Oh, (laughs) interesting. Yeah, not it, right? And so I I feel like sometimes the the even when you get the best of the best when it comes to research is like sometimes the interpretation and the actual application of that research is so disjointed that you think, well, how are we going to stop that? Like now, now it feels like a new battle to fight, you know? Yeah. It's, and it seems like, um, every week there's something that comes out. There's some kind of clickbait headline that starts off with research says, (laughs) and then you're like, oh, here we go. Um, right. It's almost like the opposite. It's yes. like when it starts out with that line, you're like, here's how I know it's probably not going to be so great. Right. No, <laughs> and I'm glad you brought up the part about like rodent. Is it a, you know, one of the questions I, I, I will not pretend that I am an epidemiologist or an expert right. in nutrition research, but you know, there's some things that I've learned to look at, like look at when I look at these studies, much like you, like, was it a mouse study, a rodent study? How long was the study? How many subjects? Um, what were the methods? What were the conclusions? You know, I saw something the other day, somebody was saying eggs are responsible for premature death. And it's like, I saw what? that too. I don't even know what? And then you're like, well, you know, these self-reported food questionnaires and it was the only thing they were eating was eggs. No, of course not. You know, and so I think, unfortunately, though, that the average consumer may not be asking those questions and may just see those kind of clickbait headlines and those photographs and go, oh, no, okay, I'm giving up eggs again, right? right? <laughs> again, <laughs> and again, um, and now they're back. <laughs> right? And they're back. Okay, we got <laughs> so, but um, yeah, I think, and then, and then it is very um, kind of uh, disheartening when, there's a study that you think as a professional, this is a really good study. And then you see somebody kind of manipulating it in a very different way. And you think, oh, great. Now what? <laughs> right? right. Yeah. Right. Or, or that, um, that I, that it's almost like, and I, I find, I find myself like sort of reducing it to this all the time, but it really does seem to be true in so many contexts is that a lot of the time, many of us are saying 
I would say, especially dietitians, those of us who are who are trained in this field, right? We think we're saying something that is clear or that's resonating with our with our specific audience. But right. it, it really made me think that actually, okay, I I think this is maybe just a misread or maybe just sort of like skipping a step in in the Rogan context that I mentioned. But in other contexts, I think maybe it's that actually what we think is resonating or what we think is making sense is maybe sometimes not the way that people need to hear it. But at the same time, I refuse. I also just, I'm going to refuse to say don't eat or X, Y, Z, because we know too much, right? So it's, it's right. a little, it's hard to sort of balance that or negotiate that in a way that, that is effective, but also stays true to the actual science. Right. hundred <sighs> percent. Tell, tell us about Tell us about your time in retail. If you could give us a like the the question. I mean, I'm sure that there were many questions, but if there was one question that you can think of that you were asked most frequently or something that came up for you most often, tell us tell us about it. What was it and how did it manifest? Well, you know, I uh, I think that every few years there's sort of a different um concern. You know, we went through the gluten-free phase and yes. for a while it, it felt like every day I was getting a question about, is this gluten-free? I, I need to eat gluten-free. I don't have celiac disease, but I've heard that gluten-free can help me lose weight. So I feel like every few years we sort of see maybe a, a trend or a fad that sort of s spills over into mm. consumer shopping preferences. Um, but there are ones that are kind of consistent, maybe like more of a, like a basal metabolic rate of yes. questions, right? <laughs> and I think one of those would be sodium. And I, yeah. and I think it's one that doesn't get a whole lot of notice. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That people, there are, there are people out there who, um, for whatever, you know, high blood pressure, um, you know, sodium, uh, causes them to have edema, they have swelling, they have heart, cardiovascular disease. And they feel, and I've watched over the years as these people who say, you know, you know, whether it was, we were worried about sugar-free or fat-free or gluten-free or GMO-free. And meanwhile, all these people who are like, I just oh. want products that have less sodium. Yes. <laughs> what about me? You know? Yes. yes. So, um, you know, and, and a lot of these free from fads, they do come and go. And right. meanwhile, some of these people who have very legitimate health reasons for wanting less sodium seem to have to take a backseat to some of that buzz about yeah. um, the free froms. Not only that, but now you're getting my wheels turning because I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you said that. I feel like this all the time. And I feel like almost like it, it makes me feel like, am I taking some sort of crazy pill. So I, like that sort of, because I, because I go to eat somewhere at a restaurant where the sodium, where I'm looking at the sodium and I'm just thinking, in what good faith can I recommend this meal that, that is otherwise really nutritious that like, otherwise I would say to a, a client, a patient, great order this, this, and this. And yet I, I, I feel like I, there, I can't recommend something with 3000 milligrams of sodium for one like snack, right? I mean, it's just right. outrageous. So it's really, it's really interesting that you say that because I think it's one that we we're not talking about enough. Because for the people who need it, who really need this specific help, and there are 
many than mm-hmm. conventional understanding or like the, the conventional unscientific but like general sort of baseline of what consumers know about nutrition is really predicated on entirely on weight specific goals. So it really becomes like, then we're only looking at macronutrients because it's like, are you over consuming? Or are you under consuming? And everyone's like, I thought I should be avoiding sugar. And I'm, and I'm right. going, you, you have no ejection fraction. Like we, <laughs> we're not looking at sugar right now. Right. This one soy sauce actually could be the thing for you. That's, that's the only thing that you need to not eat. You know, like in, yeah. in this specific context, although it is a rare, it's a rare moment to say that to anyone, but still, I, I feel like it's that one, it does become, okay, clearly there is a point to be made that our focus on weight has become so all encompassing that we forgot to say, this is actually really one of those things that's so important from only the clinical, like the nutrition, the medical nutrition therapy standpoint versus anything that has to do with weight management whatsoever. Right. I mean, you know, a lot of the, you know, the buzz about gut health and inflammation Mm -hmm. sort of starts to disguise some of this other conversation about, you know, well, what about the fact that maybe you're eating all these things for your gut health and maybe you're eating too much of these things, Um, whether it's too much of these um, and I know one of your previous episodes, you were talking about these keto foods, you know, that, that are high, maybe they're high in sodium or high in um, uh, sugar substitutes like erythritol or, mm. um, you know, or, t- or too high in fat. Maybe you're doing this, and it, you know, you're looking for a solution with certain products. And maybe the, the problem is you're adding all these foods in that are not helping you at all. So maybe we just need to kind of simplify a little bit with what we're eating. And um, I know, um, and as you said in your other podcasts, it's like, you know, let's take it down a notch. Let's look at more whole fo- whole foods and more less highly processed foods. And that includes things that purport to be about keto and paleo or, you know, gut health and anti-inflammatory with who wants millions of probiotics? That freaks me out. I mean, when I see a thing on a label that says we have millions of probiotics, I'm like, no, I don't <laughs> I don't want millions. I just want to eat my yogurt. Leave right. me alone, right? A hundred percent. 100%. Please stop messing with my yogurt. You I know. know. But what, is, what, what is really funny to me is that I I had posted something a little, a little while ago. I want to say it was almost over a month ago or so. But I am still getting questions, comments, and it was actually only about yogurt. And it made me think that this is a perfect example because I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't. And meanwhile, when I was posting it, I was thinking, oh, this is probably redundant for people. Like, the, right. like my that's my initial thought process is right. so much of the time is, oh, people are tired of me talking about it. Yeah. It's yeah. not even going to get into it. What What's happening What's happening from, from your perspective in the dairy aisle? In particular, I mean, because the fact that I even got this many questions just about this one category of of product of dairy product was astounding to me. And I, I would love for you to talk a little bit about milk and milk spelled with an I versus a Y. <laughs> well, <laughs> which, you know, it's kind of funny. Listeners I... of this podcast are not spelling it with a Y, but still. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's kind of funny because when I first started in the retail world as a supermarket dietitian. I I want to say that in the grocery aisle in the milk case it was just cow's milk and maybe a little bit of goat's milk and now of course that's really changed and you know there are a lot of um, 
uh, dairy alternatives there, whether it's almond or soy or flax or coconut, and there's so many of them. Um, what I usually say to people is that, um, you know, milk is a very economical, typically what the milk that you're seeing in the grocery aisle, um, that's cow's milk is probably a fairly local product, you know, and yeah. maybe in New York city, it's so coming true. from upstate New York or yeah. something like that. Um, and the same cannot be said if if you if that's an important factor for you and you're looking to to consume more local foods, milk is probably going to be one of them. Um, price wise, it really can't be beat. Um, if you are one of these people who is very intent on looking at how many ingredients, you really can't beat milk. If you're looking for cost, you really can't beat cow's milk. Um, if you're looking for like nutritional components, you really can't beat cow's milk. That being said, you know, there may be, there are people out there who, um, because of taste preferences or food allergies, don't care for, um, or maybe they're vegan, don't care for cow's milk. And that's fine. We have substitutes for you. Right. But, um, you know, um, nutritionally speaking, you know, I, I usually defer to what the American Academy of Pediatrics says is that, you know, it's soy milk is the, the most comparable to, or soy dairy replacement mm -hmm. is the most comparable to cow's milk. The rest of them um, usually don't measure up. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, to tell, to say that the coconut has been, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> a coconut. Listen, coconut is great for many things, but I just, I think to re as a replacement for, for cow's milk, not so much. You know, I, I think, think we've really, we lost the thread on that. When I, when I see us taking plants, mixing them in a blender with water and then filtering them, you've got to think, have we lost the thread? Because we're not, we know we're not eating enough veggies, fruit, whole grains. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it feels like, have we, have we completely lost the thread? I, I yeah. hope not. I hope not. Well, and then, I mean, I, you know, I'm not really, as a dietitian, I'm sure you feel the same way. I'm not really concerned about the, the, the adults that we see who, yes. who yeah. may be going, well, you know, I prefer having coconut milk in my coffee. Go for yes, it. Or right. almond milk or chocolate almond milk or whatever. What I would be concerned about is uh, a child yes. who needs those nutrients and, you know, is maybe instead of drinking um, three glasses of milk or two, whatever the recommendation is, the parents are giving them something that's not nutritionally equivalent, but they think it is. And right. that would, that would concern me. I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you brought this up because this does lead me to my next point. We touched on it a little bit, but I, I always see your wisdom online about this, that really is, it's such helpful context. And I think, and more people could stand to just hear it from you and from, from your newsletter, which is, that I, I worry about this a lot with Gen Z as it relates to dairy, as it relates to um, to just having seen this. And I'm not sure if you caught this article in the Times. It was, I want to say last week, it was Times cooking section. It was about sort of like America's, um, are, are, we, are we ready to, oh no, that was, I'm confusing it with a different article. This was about Americans aren't drinking milk like we yeah. once were, right? Which which is quite obvious if you go to the supermarket, but mm -hmm. it's also clear to, to those of us in, in this field. But what what really struck me about the article is the perception that of Gen Z, and that was that was sort of discussed in it. Was Gen Z has a perception of dairy milk being um, a less sustainable choice versus the plant based dairy alternatives, and it it really 
shook me a little bit because I thought, how did we get like this is this is a big failure on the part of perhaps dairy at large, you know, the dairy. But I understand why they perhaps scaled back on some of their messaging. Can you give us a little snapshot of this? And then also, I'd love to hear from you about what about let's change a little perception about the sustainability factor that goes into any of these to whatever extent you feel comfortable. Well, you know, I think um, it's important to kind of put it in context with um, while fluid milk has really diminished, you know, and Mm. it's been happening for a long time. Yeah. Meanwhile, we've it's kind of like this. We've increased our consumption of a lot of products made from milk. So somewhere on the along the line, maybe it, it seems sort of counterintuitive, but if people don't think fluid milk is sustainable yet, they're eating much more yogurts and right. cheeses and ice cream, so, so which are made from fluid milk. So fluid milk is still, uh, you know, an ingredient on all those products. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it definitely has a sustainability a role in sustainability. A, a lot of times, if you go to a dairy farm, you will see the cattle, um, and they they're grazing on grass. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're actually fed, and I want to know in our area, um, they're fed what I think they're called dry, dry distiller grains. So we have a lot of breweries in our area, and so they've worked out deals with some of the dairy plants, and they feed them what would what would. Uh, if it wasn't given to the cattle would be dumped in a landfill. So that's like an amazing sustainability story. So it's not like they're just fed that it's a part of a nutritionally calculated ration, but um, yeah, they're, and they're, and sometimes they're fed up. There's a tomato farmer in our area and uh, I've been to a dairy farm adjacent to a tomato farm Mm. and the cows, the dairy cows love, tomatoes so there's tomatoes that for one reason or another they can't be harvested so the tomato farmer has a deal with the dairy farmer so instead of putting those tomatoes in a landfill where they're going to create greenhouse gases they sell them or give them to the dairy farmer those cows are eating the tomatoes like they're candy i mean (laughs) they love it they love they love fruit they love um so you see a lot of that in our area i've seen that dairy cattle um, really enjoying um, fruit from fruit manufacturers who are like Del Monte and things like that, that they have um, stuff that they can't package up for whatever reason. It's not bad. It's just, you know, em- ends and pieces of stuff or it's dried distiller grains or it's, you know, tomatoes or whatever. So that's, uh, you know, in that way, dairy cattle and beef cattle are really contribute to um, environmental sustainability and making sure that we're not dumping things into landfills. And I think that that's really important. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next 10 years with dairy. I know um, it's a very competitive marketplace. Um, it's a very competitive area in the supermarket with uh, dairy alternatives. Uh, but I think we've pretty much exhausted every potential to convert a plant into something that kind of resembles dairy milk, but doesn't taste at all like dairy milk, you know? I I really, I had that, I had that thought when I saw a New York Magazine headline that said, are we ready for potato 
milk. And I thought, oh, come, that, I mean, come on. Come on, that's, isn't that vodka? Would that be like- We have it. It's called vodka. Right. Right. We already have that. Come on, move on. Let's get something else. I know. It's just- <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. And very, and very true and very scary. Hopefully, but hopefully not so scary. Hopefully it has. I think we have exhausted just about everything, which is why I, I feel like I've been talking about this more, which is about, about the question around raw milk as almost sort of like this this polar opposite, like revolt against the plants. And I'm like, come on, people. Well, what are we doing? <laughs> we don't no. have to do that. No. Yeah. Please don't. We don't Please have to do don't. that. Please don't. Yeah, Please don't. Exactly. So, get, so just to switch gears a little bit, what, what do you, what are your thoughts? What's your take on the word wellness? How do you feel about it? What's happening in this industry? And, and what do we need to know? What are we yeah, about? you know, um, and I'll give a shout out. And I don't know if you've read her book, Rena Raphael's book. I loved it. Boss. I loved oh, it no, so much. Right? Loved everything about it. And in fact, in fact, I, I was, it was from her book that I was like, oh, Leah, of course, Leah, I've got to go, I've got to go send her an email. So I'm very grateful for this book because it really reminded me of, um, of exactly that. It is a fantastic book, listeners who for who don't know exactly what we're talking about. It's Rena Raphael. Is that her? Raphael Raphael, yes. right. The gospel of wellness. It's fantastic. Right. Highly it is, recommend. It's great. I highly and she has quoted, I think Sylvia Klinger's quoted in it. And Dustin Moore and I were both um reviewers for some of her content. Mm. And he's a dietitian and a, a lecturer. Um but I I think when she really kind of looks at that idea of what wellness is, you know, that um, is it the opposite of sickness or mm -hmm. is it more like, um, you know, health 2.0, like that, mm -hmm. that is not just about um, physical health, but it's about nutritional health, mental health, emotional health, kind of all falls under that kind of nebulous term wellness yeah. so um uh yeah i mean we you know you you we have wellness coaches now what mm -hmm. does that mean i mean help is it it means help. I, don't, I don't know that's my gut reaction <laughs> help help yeah <laughs> what what does that mean so um yeah so i think wellness can mean a lot of different things depending on the person giving yeah. that advice or the person trained to who's looking for that advice. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's anything to the idea that it is, that it is, you know, because I, I go back and forth on this. I think in some cases this might be true and maybe it's not for everything, but what, what do you think about the idea of its adjacency to, to traditional weight loss diet programs, like, or some of those, some of the, you know, which is weight loss at all costs. I think sometimes there's, there's a bit of overlap, but I don't know that I can say that unequivocally. Well, I think that, um, a lot of the more traditional, um, ideas around, uh, weight loss, weight stigma, fat phobia have sort of undergone this transformation. Mm -hmm. And we're trying, I think we're sort of in a weird time right now where we're trying to kind of move the focus off of a necessarily a number and put it on kind of more of a general term like wellness. Um, and um, yeah, that might be might be a better way to to talk to people, because as you know, in clinical, 
you know, the weight, weight is only one measurement of somebody's health. Right. right. And so, um, you know, if we do indeed kind of look at a more holistic view of somebody's wellness or their health, and it's not just about their weight, but it's about their, you know, where they sit emotionally and with their stress and with their sleep and with their activity. And, you know, are their kids in rehab? You know, what's going on? So maybe it, in some ways, maybe it is a better way of um, approaching um, health to look at wellness. But by the same token, it sort of opens the door for a lot of people without any kind of um, training, credentials, or, or experience yeah. to kind of shoehorn their way into that space. Because yeah. now you're saying, well, we're not talking about nutrition, because that would be a dietitian, And we're not right. talking about exercise and activity, because that would be a PT. And we're not yes. talking about, you know, psychology to... So we're talking about wellness. So I'm going to call myself a wellness coach and cover all those bases. So it is a fantastic way to do that. Right. <laughs> it's a is great it? little catch-all. Clever, yeah. Very brilliant. Yeah, yeah. No, I, this terrifies me. This does. This does. Ter this does terrify me. On many yeah. Levels. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about um, about. Build up RDNs. I want to hear about how it started, what you're what you're currently working on, and what some of the goals of it are. Because I, I just feel like so many more people need to know about it. And oh, it's thanks! Such a fantastic. It's just so amazing. I, I just just give us everything from oh, the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So um, back in 2014, um, I I think it's it's been that long ago. I um, I just felt like that was a time. For, there was a lot of things mm. going on that there's a lot of negativity about dietitians. And I just felt that, you know, we as a profession maybe needed a place where we could um, kind of gather and complain yes. <laughs> or celebrate. Yeah. And, and so I uh, very uh, naively started a Facebook page um, thinking, oh, you know, I'll start a Facebook <laughs> page. And I remember going and I sent messages out to my friends and you know pretty quickly i had like 100 people who followed the page and um uh then fast forward within a couple of years i think it was probably by uh 2016 uh, i had like 25,000 people <laughs> were following the page and so then i had people who offered to help me and um and the page just grew and grew and grew and then became kind of a spot where um I could work with different groups and sponsors, although I don't work with any um, food brands. I just mm. work with like groups, uh, commodities and checkoffs mm. and other organizations like mine. And um, to try and kind of give dietitians a space where they could get some information and, um, and that would be good science-based research-based yeah. information. And then, you know, now it has like 50, almost 53,000 followers on Facebook. And then we have Instagram, then we have Twitter, we have LinkedIn. And I started a newsletter. In love the newsletter so much. Yeah, thank you. you and thanks that. for your I, support of that. I love I it a lot. Yeah. Um, and I got really great advice. I'll give a shout out for Helena botmiller Evich, who used to be with Politico. Um, and Helena has been a tremendous, um, 
uh, advocate for the whole infant formula situation. Yeah. And um, she started a newsletter. And so I had a conversation and her newsletter is called Food Fix. So I'll give a shout out for that. If you're kind of a food and nutrition policy wonk, you really want to follow Food Fix. And um, and it sounds like that might be up your alley too. Yes, Helena. <laughs> there I'm you go. Listening, Helena. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, I'm very interested in that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. She does a lot with the government, you know, USDA, FDA um, kind of things. And so we, we had a conversation about doing newsletters and I thought, you know, I'm just going to give it a shot. And I realized I really like doing it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I started the, that at the end, very end of 2022. And um, now I have like over a thousand subscribers wow. and you're one of them and you've been very gracious about that. Wow. Um, but yeah, now we have all these little subgroups of um, specialties like, you know, dietitians and clinical, dietitians and pediatrics. And they're, they've, they've sort of become the place where, you remember when lists, listservs were a thing? Yes, Jackie? yes. So it's kind of like that where you can go and you can ask a question about, you know, how do I do this? Or, you know, our facility is thinking about doing this, or I have this really complicated patient with this. Yeah. And, you know, within, uh, often within a matter of hours, you can get 15 or 20 dietitians from all over the country kind of giving you their thoughts or their opinions or their feedback. And, um, so I think that's a very valuable too yeah. tool too. So, but yeah, it's, it's, I always make the comparison that buildup is kind of like bamboo. Like it looks like you think, Oh, it would be lovely to have this green bamboo in my yard. And then you plant it and, and it becomes your yard, you know? Right, and then, right, so right. that's like buildup. It's like, I was like, Oh, maybe I'll just do this little right. page for a few dietitians. And then it's like, Oh, I did not consider that we would have like, you know, 5,000 dietitians from the Philippines who follow the page or, you know, right. you know, 4,000 dietitians in the UK who follow the page because they want to, they're curious as to what's going on with nutrition and dietetics in the US. So yeah. that kind of gives them a little look at what our challenges are. So interesting. So, so now, I have to pivot away from this for a second because I just need to get your thoughts on this. Do you, so do we think licensure, national licensure for dietitians, is this coming? Is this upon us? And, and I know that there are sometimes people who, who think that this is actually maybe not a benefit. And I'm, I'm wondering where you stand on that because I, I'm not sure where I stand on that. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting. Um, well, I know the Academy is working on national licensure, which would certainly make it so much easier for dietitians, um, you know, because right now there's this sort of patchwork quilt of some states have licensure, yeah. some states don't. Some people have this kind of limited licensure. Mm. Um, but what's, uh, I, I would never say that I was against licensure. Um, so I, um, but it took me a little while to kind of figure out why it was a benefit. And I think when I really started to see the prevalence of people giving nutrition information yes. and advice and not just like real, you know, innocuous stuff like, Oh, eat fruits and vegetables every day. Yeah, right. But people, right. people uh, 
people online basically prescribing d- medical nutrition therapy mm-hmm. to people with diseases. And um, I was like, oh, no, this is this is why you need some sort of um, guardrails for this mm-hmm. type of situation. And I had a dietitian um, friend of mine who was out in, I think he's in Illinois, and he was very unhappy about licensure. Mm-hmm. And then he started... Um, he wanted to grow his practice and in order to grow his practice, he decided he would pursue license. He would pursue, um, getting, uh, reimbursement through mm. insurance. Yeah. And he realized that, um, with that ability to be licensed, it opened so many more doors for him professionally and also kind of protected the, uh, what he, his practice to be able to provide medical nutrition and therapy. So he had a a 180 and he actually emailed me and he said, you know, I, I want to admit that I was wrong. I was against licensure because I did not understand how it protects not only the provider, but it protects the patient from people who are not qualified to give information. And he said, you know, it's, it's helped my, my job. And it's helped the people that I see know that they can trust the information that I'm giving out because I'm licensed in the state. So I was, I was like, well, that is really important that he saw, he saw and admitted that 180. So yeah. It's a huge deal. I mean, it's so powerful. And especially, especially because I think, I think that part of it doesn't, when I hear, when I hear people who are, um, or who who have said before that they're not in favor of licensure, I think it's not, it's only a, a fraction of the picture to think about us as the practitioner. It's also about the patient who could perhaps get reimbursed for right, seeing right. us versus the fact that, you know, I, I think there's like, there's just only upside from, from where we're sitting versus some of the downsides that I know have been talked about in dietetics communities before, but I feel like it's good to, that 180, I love. And I love a moment to say, <laughs> I had this recently. I love a moment to say I was wrong. I had this yeah. I had this recently because I made a mistake in a video that I made that of course, it's like the one time that you're, that you're thinking, yeah, well, I was thinking, ah, no one is going to see this. I, and because I knew before I, before I posted it, I was like, I said this one thing incorrectly. It's, it's not totally accurate. And I, I would redo the whole thing, but it was kind of in the middle right. of a clip. And I was like, I, how many people are realistically? Meanwhile, of course, it's the only video. It's the one video I've ever done that actually had any traction, which honestly is its own topic. I feel like that alone is just terrifying because of course it's the one thing that is, you know, that something so that someone can say, oh, that's wrong. And therefore the engagement on something like that becomes exponential, right? Which is, oh, yeah. which is just so crazy to think about in the current environment in which we live. But okay, I, I digress. My, my point was to say, I appreciate the moment to say I was wrong about this because we are an always evolving. Sure. Just like any practitioner is, is sure. an evidence-based practice. We should always be evolving and able to say I was wrong on that. All right. Yeah. On this, so tell us where where do we see build up RDNs in the next few years? What's the what's the goal? What are some some goals? I'm sure you have plenty of of smaller ones, but if you're able to share a few with us, I feel like anyone and everyone can benefit from hearing them. I would and 
and I really have it. So this is the first time I'm kind of articulating this. Mm. So um, it's really interesting to, to think about that. Um, I would really like to be able to do more events to bring kind of the next gen um, yeah. dietitians in and make sure that they are um, and try and get them to the point where they can be advocates for um, science-based nutrition information, mm -hmm. whether that's um, virtual conferences or in-person conferences or both. That would, I would love to do something like that and have some leading dietitians and other experts mm -hmm. in nutrition and science be able to kind of help coach people. Cause, because I, I think, I mean, like, for example, for you, I'm sure that right out of the gate as a new dietitian, you never would have dreamed that you would be doing something like this, right? right. Or a hundred percent, or even just quote and quoted in magazines. And it, and how do we get these, you know, these 26, 27 year olds um, to feel comfortable and confident in um, their writing skills, their public speaking sp skills, um, how to look at research and interpret it and talk about it. So that I would love to do something like that. Um, I think that's the main thing. Oh, and then, I mean, and this is to <laughs> totally probably not what you're expecting to hear. I would love to figure out how I can have like a, a swag store for build up. Oh my God. No, you need it. You need I it. Know. I would be buying, I would buy it up. I'm I know I can't, <laughs> you know, and I am not, and I will totally admit I am not the most like artistic person. Um, and I need to figure out how to make that happen. Cause I do get asked about that, but it would be fun to be able not to see like build up logo on stuff, but fun to have like fun swag for dietitians that was kind of maybe a little naughty, a little edgy, yes, I like it. you know? Um, yeah, I'd love to do that. I think that is a call to action. If I, okay. I may be so bold, I think <laughs> listeners, that's a call to action. Please find, finally, before, you know what, before I ask you our last question, you have to tell our listeners where we can find you. Oh, sure. So that we can make sure that, that anyone who knows how to do this well, Call Leah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Help, help, help. Um, so on, uh, we've got a website, buildupdietitians.com. We've got uh, Build Up RDNs on Twitter. Um, the Facebook page is Build Up Dietitians. You can usually find us as Build Up Dietitians or Build Up RDNs on any social media channel. So um, yeah, that's a good place to start. Amazing. All right. So tell us so far in 2023. So this is our last, our hallmark question of the podcast is what is the most irritating, annoying, junky wellness thing you've seen so far this year? Wow. Gosh, if there's only one. <laughs> <you know. laughs> uh, uh, oh, I know. I know. The, and now Starbucks adding the olive oil to coffee. Oh my God. Thank you. Please. Come on. Come on, Come just on. leave the coffee alone. <laughs> I feel bad. I don't know who to feel worse for, the coffee or the oil. Ew, I, I, mean, I know. It's an abuse we, of both. <laughs> I, you know, I tried it. I, we, I tried it on a small scale. So, you okay. know, we have coffee. I have some really good olive oil, extra virgin olive oil. I'm like, I'm just going to see. And I'm like, this is just nasty. Um, I'm sure that's not how Starbucks does it, but, but so you have like an oil slick floating on the top of your coffee. Oh. It has a weird taste to it. No, 
drink your coffee, enjoy your coffee, put your extra virgin olive oil on your salad and move on. So yes, that's, that would be it for me. That was everything. That was everything I wanted it to be. Leah, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, Jackie. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to The Business of Wellness. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Remember that advice provided on this podcast is based on my application of research and practice as a registered dietitian and should not replace medical advice provided by your physician. If you like what you're listening to, please follow the show, leave a five-star rating, and share something you love from today's episode by leaving a review. This podcast only grows with your support. So if you enjoyed this episode, share it far and wide. It may be the one thing someone needs to hear to start building that roadmap today to secure a healthier, happier future. That's it for now. So until next time, cheers.